passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Brought to you by Odyssey Sports. Brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. Make sure you download that Odyssey app. You get all the episodes first. Kyle... Boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> I can just see it on your face. <laughs> First, good good morning. Good morning. Um, you know, so uh, we always, before we do this, we pick a, a, a title for uh, for the pod of what we're going to call it for the live stream. And, you know, it's not always where the pod goes. It's kind of where we think we're going to go. And today, I think it's pretty clear where this pod is going to go. Um, last night after the game uh i went out and there was a bunch of sixers fans and they're all saying the same thing everybody's feeling the same way james harden man like what in the world was that from james harden i i I can accept if you're gonna miss a ton of shots it is like it's it's a make or miss league if you are going to just have an off night whatever but those games where it just looks like you just want to almost take them and like shake them and be like, bro, let's go. Like, come on, let's go. This is an important game. He just looked checked out. He played poorly. And as you put it perfectly, and as the title says, James Harden turned into Ben Simmons last night. Yeah, it's just one of those games where, look, I, I think he w- he didn't have the same really downhill attacking mentality early, but he at least was, you know, trying to get his. He's trying to score in some form or fashion. A little too much grifting and foul baiting and things like yeah. that. But all right, it's like, you know, he can adjust to this. This is not an unsalvageable game. And then I don't know exactly when it started. Let's say midway through the second quarter, maybe a few minutes into the second quarter. 
he started running pick and rolls with Joel Embiid, and he would get to the paint, and Al Horford is dropping and dropping and dropping, and James has shots that he can take from mid-range or even layups in some instances as the game goes on. And his head is no, he's like yep. looking down here, head to the floor, head to the corner, wherever it is. And it was staggering to watch him just look so shook out there. Like that's the only way I can describe it is he looked scared to try to attack. And look, for whatever flaws James Harden has as a player, you don't see that that often. We've seen some stinkers in terms of misses a lot of shots, lots of turnovers, which I believe he had five of those last night <laughs> yeah, to add yeah. on top of uh, yeah. this poor performance. But he was just so indecisive and slow and timid that that has a trickle-down effect on everybody else because uh, as we've talked about with Ben Simmons a thousand times in Philadelphia – as we're seeing in that game with James Harden, when the guy who's running the offense is that passive and just uninterested in attacking the basket, it makes it much, much harder for everybody else on the team. You're not getting into your sets as quickly. The, the, the trickle-down effect is just enormous. And it, I cannot believe that just – how many days? Four days after game one where James Harden comes out and scores 45 points and it's just absolutely nuking every coverage the Celtics are throwing at him. We're talking about a guy who looked like he had a just complete mental breakdown on the floor on Friday night. Yeah, and it literally feels like we're recording a pod after uh, one of their games against the Hawks a few years ago. Like that description you said. I mean, there are some differences. He shoots threes. That's part of it, right? He is he actually shoots. Ben Simmons, for what it's worth, literally didn't shoot in that series. But at the end of the day, you're right. I mean, just watching him drive into the paint with no intention of scoring. Like the second he gets in there, you can see he's looking to the corners for three. Or frankly, he just dribbles back out, right? It's exactly what Ben used to do. It's exactly what we used to criticize Ben for. The going into paint, jumping in the air, and figuring out what you're going to do once you get there in terms of you know trying to get it out for threes. And were there times where he got good, that his teammates got good looks because of those threes last night? Yeah, there were. But at the end of the day, it felt like at in the beginning, and we'll get into the MVP thing because I do think I have a lot of opinions on that. But I do think early on, it felt like the whole offense was either – Joel doing something amazing, or you're counting on McDaniels or Melton or Tucker to make a corner three. And look, I get that those are good shots and I get they didn't get enough threes up in game two. But at the end of the day, you don't, and we've said this throughout the pod, we, whatever, you don't trade for James Harden so that he can just do what Ben Simmons did. It Like that point blank period, because at least Ben played defense, right? Like Harden's not giving you anything on that end. But no, I agree. I mean, he just... It's the worst version of James Harden. It's the passive version. But why do you think this is happening? Why? Like why? It, 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 is it physical? Is it because it's the you know the the schedule of not having two days off in between games? Because uh, it doesn't look physical to me. It looks just like a, a unwillingness to kind of play the game he played in Game One. I mean, I know he spoke to reporters last night. He did the whole well. It's I know I'm making a smart basketball play, which also had a lot of. Uh, Ben Simmons ish qualities to that quote. Uh, why, why, what, like, why do you think it's happening? Why? So, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know how else to ask it. 
So speaking of that, there were maybe I wasn't even in the locker room when Harden talked mm-hmm. because that was in the middle of Joel's press conference. Yeah. And I think that was if they didn't plan it that way, then oh, it's intentional. Joel just like really unintentionally took about 15 bullets for James Harden after that absolute disaster of a game. Yeah. And, you know, great leadership from Joel on that front. Um I do think some of it is probably physical, not all of it, but at least some of it. We're not seeing him show the extra gear, beating guys off the dribble. Like most of the time when he was getting to the paint, it was more because Boston kind of conceded it. They're just saying, here, you can keep taking this space. They figured out that he didn't really want to attack them for much of that game and, you know, ended up being a winning gambit for them. Um, Certainly, though, a big part of it is mental. Like, that game is why there are so many people who just do not believe in James Harden as a playoff guy, why we've had these conversations all season that he's having a great bounce-back year, but he's got to do it in the playoffs, and that's what matters, and this is a legacy year and things like of that nature. Because this guy in big moments has done this before. This is yeah. not the first time. Maybe stylistically it's a little different where – you know, we saw it last year, Miami, game six. He was very checked out of that game. But I didn't think that was like him getting to the paint and, and not looking at the rim. That was just him being uninvolved on offense right. as a, you know, a, a, on a general level. So this is almost a new level for Harden in terms of stinking it up in the playoffs. And nice, nice. there's a lot of conversation after the game amongst fans anyway, to the extent of... <laughs> Why are we going to pay this guy in the offseason? Talking about the team. And look, like I can't really blame people after a performance like that. If if he can only give you one, and it was an A, A A-plus game from Harden in game one. That's absolutely true. He was amazing. Stole them that game. But if you get that, and then the rest of the series is like F, F F-minus level basketball, which is what that is, what the fuck is the point of keeping and paying this guy? He'll be making like you give him a max, he's gonna be making like sixty million dollars in yeah. a few years. You want to pay that guy that kind of money, knowing that this kind of performance is uh, is possible for him? I wouldn't if I was running a team. So I get why people want to go there. And look, he is. It's why, as much as I dismiss the Vegas thing. And obviously it didn't impact him in game one. It's why he's never going to get the benefit of the doubt in those yeah. situations. Because people always feel like the trap door is going to open. That he gives you a good performance and then the next game he just might be completely missing. He doesn't show up when it matters. And like, here's the worst part. There are a bunch of guys on the Celtics. Maybe not as important to the Celtics as Harden is to the Sixers. But a guy like Marcus Smart shoots five for 15 in that game. Him trying to attack at any point for Boston was essentially a win for the Sixers. Like You would have taken that mm-hmm. every single time. Unfortunately for the Sixers, fortunately for Boston, Marcus Smart is capable of making plays in other ways and impacting the game in other ways. He's taking charges. He's getting offensive rebounds. He's playing tough defense on somebody. 
When James Harden isn't good on offense, he has fucking nothing to offer. He he not only is a bad defender, he's an apathetic defender. Yeah. And he's an apathetic rebounder. And he just does not care to put himself and his team in positions to try to win games through that way. And so that's the, the most infuriating thing about I can live with guys having, you know, weird moments and bad shooting efforts and whatever, but there's no conscious effort or choice made to try to correct it in another way. There never has been. And look, this deep in his career, I think it's safe to say there never will be. Unless yeah. James Harden is a great offensive player, he does not bring anything to the table, period. So, so that was frustratingly perfectly said in the way that it's not what you want to hear after game three. And I think that is what kind of my biggest emotional takeaway from the game was last night is just, you know, I'm down there, you know, the, the stadium, the Phillies are playing the Red Sox. It's like a beautiful day. Everyone's so excited. Joel's getting his MVP. It feels like this is going to be different. James had a great game one. Joel wasn't great in game two, but he got his rust out. And just to take all that, and then to, you know, five, six minutes into the game to just have that feeling of, oh, my God, here we go again. Like, this is that exact feeling. Like, all all season, all the first round of the playoffs, the first round of Boston. I mean, the first game against Boston, it was, no, guys, this is going to be different. I promise you, this team's different. They try hard. They make comebacks. They shoot threes. Joel's better. James is playing great. All this stuff. It just felt like it completely popped and went up in the air. And all of a sudden, that all too familiar feeling of just like complete lack of faith. I mean, I, I bring it up on the pod often, but I think it's just so telling in this. I'm checking the live odds during the game. The Celtics were minus 900 to win in the second half when they were up eight points. Nobody had faith they were going to win that game. Nobody. Like, we can all pretend, uh, you know, like Sixers fans and say, no, they were only down eight. Maybe they'll come back. And I do think there were three or four moments where they get it to four or six and the Celtics get a loose ball or the Celtics get an offensive rebound or Harden had this like horrendous. They had it down to two. Harden misses a three-pointer. They score on the other end. Harden comes back. He misses a jumper. They get on the other end and he fouls Jalen Brown for an and one. And it's like, that's it. The game's over. So we can all sit here and, and say, yeah, they had a chance. And you know what? Like the Celtics are one of the best, if not the best team in the league. And, and if this was the NBA finals, we'd feel different. But the reality is it's, it, it is the second round. And that's the matchup that they drew. And just seeing it be, you know, minus 900, minus 800. It just, it's a complete punch in the gut of, Nobody believes this team is going to do it. Nobody does. And that's what I think the worst part about last night was it was, yes, James was bad. And yes, like, you know, the role players, you know, didn't do much. And I think Maxi is getting shit is getting some coverage by Harden here because he was not good. Right. And he's someone that might get a max deal, but just the biggest part is how excited fans were and just the ultimate quick deflating feeling of Jesus Christ, man, it's happening again. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yeah, so a couple things coming out of that. I've gotten lots of tweets and some emails from readers where essentially they said, you put a lot of blame on James Harden, but you know, this guy was bad and this guy was bad and this guy was bad and putting like centralizing Harden in this story is not saying he's the only guy who played bad, right? To your point, the other two guys, one who's making a ton of money currently, the other is going to be making a ton of money uh, in the near future in Harris and Maxi. Those guys gave you essentially nothing in that game. Yeah. Like, Tobias Harris is in foul trouble had seven points on six shots, was just bad and irrelevant for most of the game. Yeah, Tyrese Maxey was the other way where he took way too many shots, missed the open ones he had, and then he's trying to score over three people in the paint, taking these ridiculous runners and floaters that recycle the ball, make the easy pass, make the plays that Boston made all night where guys are collapsing the defense and then with multiple people on them, they're just finding the open shooter, whoever that is, and yeah. trusting that somebody else is going to make a play. But the reason that James Harden is the headline and the story is because this guy is a first ballot Hall of Famer. James Harden, like, what top, top yeah. 75 player of all time, yeah. former MVP, scored 45 fucking points in game one. I have, I have, you have, we all collectively have much higher expectations for James Harden than Tobias Harris. Like we can't do anything. The Sixers can't do anything. The fan base can't do anything about how much money Tobias Harris makes at this point. That's been set in stone for a long, long time. But James Harden is a star player. The entire reason you even build a roster around multiple stars is because you know the other guys are going to have down nights in the playoffs. Like, it just happens. That's how it goes. Role players are role players for a reason, and that effect is compounded in these games where the pressure is up, the opponent is better, the shot quality is lower, so on and so forth. So, absolutely. Tobias, bad. Tyrese, bad. Almost everybody in the rotation, bad, except for Joel Embiid, quite frankly. PJ was okay. Melton was okay. I mean, frankly, fucking George Niang, who 75% of the fan base doesn't want to play and should be out of the rotation, was one of their only guys who had a chance to score in the second half last night. So, like, when you're in that position, what the hell is any – James Harden has to take you home or help take you home with Joel Embiid, and he was a no-show in that game. Well, and, you know, I think there's such an important distinction to make. Nobody is saying that James Harden has to be game one James Harden. He does not have to score 45 points, but he cannot be this James Harden. Like, yes, other people have to step up if if Harden's not playing well. And 
frankly, I'm so over the complaining about Tobias Harris. Like he is what he is. He's the fourth option on the team to all of a sudden ask him to step up and make up for James Harden play is frankly unfair at this point that he's not been asked to do it all year. It is what it is, whatever. Right. But ultimately if, if, if Harden's going to give you a C level game, then maybe you can point and go, all right, Maxi, you need to be a little bit better or other guys have to step up. But if Harden is giving you an F level game, I mean, it's, to make a football analogy, it's like if the offensive line is playing poorly, I can't sit here and blame A.J. Brown. Like at the end of the day, James Harden is – Joel's the center of the team. Joel's the best player. But James Harden is such an integral piece of making the machine go that if it's functioning at such a poor level, it's hard for anybody else to play well because the whole thing is so disjointed. And that's what I think stood out last night too. And I'll blame Doc for this. Like they they looked bad on defense early on. The Celtics were getting whatever shots they wanted, wide open three-pointers. And on offense, it looks like they've completely forgotten how they played all season. I know Joel missed two games, but they looked disjointed in game two. I think that early on in game one, I, I feel like they've lost their identity. I, I don't even know what they're trying to accomplish on offense. And that's not all on Doc. That is absolutely on Harden and the players too. But if I'm going to praise Doc for the team trying hard and, you know, all these things, they looked awful last night. They came out last night and looked awful right away. So ultimately, you know, it's it's everybody, but it's it's Doc too. I mean, the, the whole thing was just a complete disaster. So I think we've gone too long without getting to Joel and kind of discussing the whole night for him at this point. Um Joel, the saddest part about last night to me, Joel after the game is running through all sorts of questions. It's like the only guy who actually sat and talked to anybody at length, which is just, you know, on brand. He's the only guy who showed up for the game, the only guy who really talked after the game. He essentially said, he's asked about the whole MVP hoopla and the ceremony and what have you. And he, he said that, and I agree with him, he had he thought that he handled it well, like had the emotions out, but he didn't play emotionally, like let the game yeah. come to him. And I thought that was true. And then he goes on to say, like, he wished that they did this at like a different time, like the week between the playoffs and now. And for a guy to have like that cool of a moment where I think even people who dislike Joel, other fans, even people within this fan base national writers who can't admit their biases whatever <laughs> yeah they they probably watched joel prior to that game go through his whole speech bring out his son break down emotionally and say yeah. man what a what a cool moment for this guy to have like this whole journey having his parents there and luke bamute who essentially made it so that he could have a basketball career by helping get him to the states like yeah Oh, really, really cool. And for Joel to come out of that game and essentially that like that moment and that atmosphere that he was in and say something like that to me is the most dispiriting thing about the entire game, because that should be. And I hope it still is a moment that Joel remembers forever, like watching his son yeah. run to him as he is crowned the best player from this season. But like Man, that is just a real gut punch if you're somebody in the organization or somebody on his team to, to hear him say that after that yeah. game has to just sting. Well, so I'll say this. Like, I look, Joel, Joel, 
is allowed to feel how he feels about wanting to move it. And I understand his point. And I think you're, you're so spot on that all those players like James, you can buy Joel a Ro a Rolex and everyone can like chant MVP in him. But where he needed you was last night to make sure his moment was not ruined. But I'm, I am happy Joel got that moment last night and I'm happy they did it the way they did it because frankly, this season might be going down the drain and I'm happy that that moment happened for Joel because he deserved it. Uh, so I, I just thought the whole thing was the most beautiful moment I've ever seen in a sporting event with my own two eyes. Like when Arthur runs out and Joel didn't just break down in tears, like he completely let loose. It wasn't just a tear or two and let me wipe it away. The second he saw Arthur, he literally has full face crying and it was it was beautiful and he deserved it. And the atmosphere in the arena was crazy. I mean, the only thing I can compare it to, and you were, you were obviously there last night too, so you can speak on it, but it was one of the most emotionally charged arenas I've ever been in. I was at the Super Bowl in 2017 when they ran out onto the field to dreams and nightmares. And it was the same exact feeling, the same exact feeling of this is a moment, the chills you get, like the emotional energy of what's about to happen. It was it was comparable to that Super Bowl moment. So, I mean, I can just speak for me. I almost feel like it took me 20 minutes to kind of come down <laughs> that moment. Like I felt emotionally drained from it. I can't imagine having to go play basketball. And I'm not making excuses because Joel handled it great. But it's just so deflating that Joel gets that amazing, beautiful moment. And it's not even him that comes out poorly. It's the team. It's the team. And yeah, so they fall behind right away and it just never felt, you know, they, they keep it to seven or eight points all the time, but it never felt like they were going to get over that hump. And it just really, really sucks that Joel lost like Iverson when he got MVP in game five, he had an amazing game. He scored 52 points. They won the game. Joel had an amazing game too. They just didn't win. And I really do hope you're right. That when he looks back, he, he doesn't remember this night poorly because he deserves that moment so much. Like anyone that watched that, you, you, you can't hate on Joel anymore. Like that was such a beautiful Philly sports moment. I'm happy he got it. Yeah. So he was very good in that game after that. Like I was very, as we've talked about, I was concerned that we were going to get emotional Joel during the game yeah. where he, he just strays too far toward the side of, you know, playing out of control. But he didn't like I, I thought that was a real sign of maturity from him that, you know, after that early they're down, what, like 14 four, he still, you know, kept yeah. composed, stayed where he needed to be. I thought his rim protection was awesome early in that game. It really is striking to me. It doesn't even really look like he's hurt for most no, of the time. Like I, <laughs> I think you hard. can see the conditioning isn't all there yeah. that second half of game so far. He's looked tired as it gets deeper into a game, which, by the way, they have an afternoon game Sunday, which is just a disaster for them in terms yeah, of recovery. Yeah. Joel for his injury, Harden for whatever the hell is going on with him <laughs> mentally and physically. But that was like that was a game from Joel that that's good enough to go win that game. He was good on the glass, good at the rim. Good enough attacking. Like, yeah, he didn't score 35 and his efficiency was just okay. But like that's that's about the level of performance that I expect yeah. from Joel to try to win games that in this current state and to get so little from everybody else. Like, here's the thing, too. 
I don't even know if you're Doc Rivers. What are the changes that you make to try to right this ship? Like, you could play Shake Milton or Daniel House Jr. and, and mix it up, but like, I don't think either of those guys is like, oh man, that guy's coming in and no. swinging the series and he's going to hit five threes or whatever. Like, that's part of the argument for playing a guy like Niang. Niang, for all his issues, at least he can like get hot and, and he might put you on a run that yeah. sends you in the right direction. Like shake and house. You're essentially just hoping for like competent two way play. If that from, cause shake is kind of like back and forth on the seesaw as a defender yeah. a little bit, but I, I just don't really know what the answer is. Like Jalen McDaniels, I think had the best plus minus on the team and he probably had three or four record scratch moments where he had open shots last night and just had no interest in taking them. So, like, even the guys who you could look at the box score and say, hey, he played okay, the eye test tells me, I don't think so, man. I don't think that guy was that good. And I, I just – I don't think they've had good answers this entire series. Well, and well, just a few more things, and then I know you have a big day and we have I have a busy one too, so we'll wrap this up. But – um, I think the answer is what it's always been in the last few playoff rounds. Somebody has to step up. Like somebody has to step up. Joel is giving you the most he can give you right now. And I think that's, what's so amazing. It really dawned on me last night and it's not new, but it really kind of set in watching. Joel has never gotten a, a, an out of body playoff performance from one of his teammates, right? We can say Jimmy Butler against Toronto Jimmy was fine against Toronto. He averaged 22 points. Let's not act like he came out and averaged in the 30s, right? He wasn't good in game five. He wasn't good in game seven. Ben Simmons, awful against the Hawks. Ben, uh, ben Simmons didn't even play against the Celtics in the bubble. Early on in his career, you know, those are, it almost feels like a different lifetime ago. But he, Joel has never had something where you leave a series and go, you know what? Joel was good, but they won this series because X really stepped up. Like, look at Denver, right? Jokic has advanced in the playoffs in the past because Jamal Murray has been unbelievable. Giannis wins a title because Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton step up and save him. And I think the most frustrating, like so on brand part is it could, it could end up being that the only game they win this series is the one Joel didn't play in, right? Just because James was unbelievable in game one, but it's like the second Joel takes the floor and I'm not blaming him for this, but the second Joel takes the floor, James just becomes completely disinterested in trying to, to help him anymore. And it's just so frustrating that this deep in his career, you would think by luck he would get somebody that would have a performance in the playoffs where he where they far outperform what's expected of him. But he's never, ever gotten it. And so what can Doc do? Look, Doc has to be better. He has to figure out a better plan on defense, which I can't believe is coming out of my mouth. But he has to figure out a better plan on defense. But ultimately, everyone just has to hope that Harden and Maxi decide to play better. That's that's point blank all it's going to come down to. Are they going to play better? And if they don't, they might not win another game. If they can, if they can decide we're going to give you guys our B-plus performances, then they, it's still a series because you win game four. It's a best of three. Who knows what happens? But it, it's hard to it's it's hard to see that 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 coming out. But the last thing I'll ask you is, and I think it has to be brought up, the officiating in the first half. We can blame Harden. We can blame the moment, all these things. 
the officiating in the first half was really bad. And as much as all the loose balls went against the Sixers, and that's on them, and as much as the offensive rebounds they let up, that's on them. There were lots of moments that did not go their way in the first half. The Melton three is is not counted initially, right? And then as a result of that, Horford gets to make a three at the other end that he would not probably have gotten otherwise, right? The flagrant foul where Embiid gets pulled down, they don't get that call, right? It just felt like in a night where the Sixers played poorly and they deserved to lose that game, they could have had a chance if even one of these calls goes their way in the first half. And maybe that's one of those moments where they can break through. But I thought the officiating was was really, really bad last night. There are a couple of missed calls, but I like I didn't think it was fine. So all this stuff that people got actually mad about, like Grant Williams when he wrapped up Joel, great playoff foul, like textbook playoff foul that people were like, oh, my God, they acted like he know, committed man. assault with like a hammer or something. And then the one on Tobias where he gave a forearm to Robert Williams in the back on a lob. Right. The dumbest foul and the most obvious foul I've ever seen. Like Robert Williams, is not, that, yeah. Robert Williams is not catching that ball. That it was not getting it. There's no reason to even touch him. It was a horrible yeah. pass. Let him go, and you're getting the turnover, and you're going the other way. So there a lot of stuff like that. That was. I agree with you. There were some bad calls, um, but I, I think that's one where the crowd was so charged up to be mad at anything that went against the Sixers that that was just like, yeah, Scott Foster, you stink, and it was like trying to. Uh, Rechannel their energy towards somebody that was not on the Sixers. Um, well, what I I've do... never understood is why fans boo and yell, ref, you suck when they want calls. Like, you want calls. Like, I, I don't, you know, hey, just, you're trying to find a way to get there. I know. It's just so out. funny that the ref's going to be like, all right, good point. You're literally booing me and saying I suck. Let me give you the benefit of the doubt from here on out. So, I have two thoughts to close the podcast, unless you have uh, no, I'm anything good. more I... after this. So, Jason Tatum came out and said last night that the MVP ceremony for Joel Embiid got him really ready to play. Nice. nice. I think I think it's really telling that the MVP ceremony was a better motivating factor for the Boston Celtics than it was for any of Joel Embiid's teammates. It's a great point. That in itself is a great commentary on the game. Uh, the other thing, I think this game is a great example of exactly why all season we talked about the defensive backcourt pairing of Maxi and Harden and the potential for, and you know, the months long experiment of the Anthony Melton starting over Maxi. Because if you look at all those 50 50 balls and offensive rebounds and the, just the stuff that tilted in Boston's favor. It's not all of it, but some of it is like the guy who's in position to make one of those plays is Tyrese Maxey going against like Marcus Smart or Grant Williams or just a bigger, more athletic guy and getting fucking bullied off the ball. And so on top of, you know, look, I think if we're talking about him in like isolation, battling on defense – I actually think Tyrese has been better than I expected during these playoffs. He's done an okay job of, you know, getting good contests in and not getting beat off the dribble as often as I would think. But I do think that, you know, this is sort of the product of 
this kind of backcourt. Tyrese is a small defensively challenged player playing next to maybe the most famously apathetic defensive player of the last, you know, 10, 15 <laughs> years. Yeah. And when you get into the playoffs and these guys have talked about it a hundred times, when you're in the playoffs and every single possession counts, you need guys who manufacture extra possessions. That's why PJ Tucker is getting paid $10 million at just turned 38 years old. Mm-hmm. And again, it's the same point I made with Harden earlier. Tyrese, when he's not going on offense, what is he bringing? It's the answer is nothing a lot yeah. of the time. And worse with him, at least Harden is a pretty good playmaker, even on a bad night. Tyrese is not getting other people involved. He's got a score or he's got not a lot to him. And so, like, they might end up later in this series, game four, game five, as long as it goes, they might have to make a choice and play DeAnthony Melton over Tyrese or play DeAnthony Melton over Tobias, for that matter, because Tobias certainly isn't rebounding despite the size advantage that he has over DeAnthony. I I don't know what the answer is, but I think a lot of the season-long concerns that we had dating back to you know, training camp and when this roster was put together, they still exist right now. And I would be slightly leery of whatever Tyrese is going to get when his extension comes up. Yeah. And I think the second that he signs that deal, there are going to be a lot of people who maybe they don't look at him differently, but they scrutinize him a lot more closely than they are right now. A hundred percent. And you know, there will be pods to be had where we discuss how much you make a decision based off this series alone. Because again, glass, I don't even want to say half full, but like glass 30% full. Like they are playing the best team in the NBA. They are like, it's a, it's a fact, right? If they were playing the Knicks right now or the Heat, we're probably coming out and going, oh my God, they're going to get to the conference finals. And look how good Maxie's playing in the second round. And Harden's give like, so there will be pods to discuss that. But you're right, Maxie. You, you know, I know he's not he's not Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I know he's not. But when you look at that's what an actual wing like scorer is. Like the things they do, Maxie cannot do. Maxie can't get to the basket that way. Maxie can't hold the offense on his shoulders that way. Maxie scores by taking three pointers and by like scoring in transition. And every once in a while, he'll get to the rim. But he's not a max player. And that will be something hopefully we're not discussing for a few more weeks. After last night, it feels like we might as well just do the postseason pod now. But it's not over wow. yet. They, they <laughs> win on Sunday and things, uh, again, it's like you said, when you, when you lose in the playoff, when you win in the playoffs, it feels like you'll never lose again. And when you lose, it feels like you'll never win again. So they win on Sunday. We'll feel much different about it. But Kyle, this has been about as fun as a pod about this game could possibly be. Um, the Sixers, like you said, Sunday afternoon, we'll have a pod a- after that. I would assume either late Sunday night or early Monday morning. Hopefully talking about a win. Hopefully getting back to uh, believing in this team and feeling like this year can be different. But... Until then, I'll talk to you next time. See you guys soon.